Okay. Um, so we see some some verses in the scripture that speak about the the immutableness of God, um, immutability of God. It says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Um, some people like to look at uh, the, the maybe the way that God dealt with humanity in the Old Testament and the way that He deals with us in the New Testament, and to say, well, God has changed, right? God has changed. But actually, God has not changed. There are some things that did change, right? But it wasn't God who changed. It was the circumstances changed. So, for instance, um, a parent, for instance, the way they deal with their child when they're a toddler, it's not the same way that they deal with their child when they're in college, right? You don't interact with your children the same way. Is it because the parents have changed? Uh, the parents haven't changed. They're the same people. They, they have the same thoughts. They have the same. But the way you deal with the child changes because the child has changed. Right. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, um, the people did not have the Holy Spirit and there was no means of communication with them um, internally. So, for instance, when we say we have the Holy Spirit, the, the grace of God is working in us and the Holy Spirit in us and is able to communicate with us. So God can communicate with us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Whereas in the Old Testament, there was no the, the people didn't have the Holy Spirit. Right. So how is it that he would communicate? Well, he would communicate, let's say, through prophets. Um, also, now we have the benefit of all of the scripture. Um, at the time, in the, in the Old Testament, they had some of the scriptures because, of course, the scripture was being written over time, but they didn't have everything, right? So when we look to the, the entirety of the Bible now, we get a picture of what is it that God wants us to do and what is the meaning of the things that we're doing and so on. Whereas back then, they didn't have that, right? So there was a difference, right? The environment was different. The situation was different. The purpose of God was different. Of course, now also, in the New Testament, the work of salvation that Christ performed on the cross is complete, right? Whereas in the Old Testament, everything was pointing to the coming of the Messiah, right? All of the work of the prophets, the coming of the Messiah, right? Whereas now the Messiah has already come. So again, even the, the contents of the message and the prophecies and all that has also changed, right? Because we're not looking to the Messiah still coming. He's already come, okay? So it is not God who's changing, but the circumstances and the environment and, and us who's changing, right? So it doesn't mean that just because um, it's now the New Testament that everything that was in the Old Testament is discarded, right? So we have to be careful with that. Also in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Lord says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. Okay, so what does it mean? Christ made it very clear because the, the, the people, let's say when they would see Christ doing miracles on the Sabbath, right? They would say, well, he is a breaker of the law because on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do any work because the Old Testament understanding of the Sabbath was literally you just stay home. Like you, don't, you, don't, you don't even travel a certain distance more from your house. Um, it was taken in a very literal way because, again, the people didn't have a spiritual mindset or a spiritual understanding to understand what is the purpose of the Sabbath. Christ, of course, understood the purpose of the law and understood the purpose of the Sabbath. And the idea of healing a person on the Sabbath is not against the law. He even gave the example. He said, wouldn't any of you, if you had an animal that fell into a ditch, wouldn't you pull out this, this animal from the ditch, right, even if it was on the Sabbath? You know, and he gave this example about like a woman who was ill and who was in bondage to her disease and, he, and Christ healed her. He says, w w I'm healing a person. I'm healing a person on the Sabbath. 
right? That's that's actually something good. It's 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 right to do good on the Sabbath. This is actually what we should be doing on the Sabbath. So he took he didn't abolish the concept of the Sabbath, but he gave a, a new understanding of how it should be applied, right? Um, similarly, with uh, uh, with the the law of circumcision, right? The law of circumcision was something that was required for someone to be considered among the people of God in the Old Testament. But the purpose of the circumcision, right, was was a symbol to point to something that was to come later. Now again, the people didn't understand that. They didn't know that at the time. But when it came later that there was a baptism, so baptism became the new circumcision, the circumcision of the New Testament, which 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 allowed people to enter into the communion with God through the coming of the Holy Spirit on them in circum in, in baptism. So again, it's not that God said, you know what, I changed my mind. Um, circumcision is, is completely unimportant. No, actually, all along, it was important, but it was important not because in and of itself had the value, but it was symbolizing something else that was to come. Yes, God wanted the people to do it. Same thing with the burnt offerings. So yeah, we don't offer burnt offerings now, but the, the offerings were pointing to the sacrifice of Christ. That when the Messiah comes, and John the Baptist referred to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, just like in the Old Testament, they would actually have actual lambs that they would slaughter for the forgiveness of sins. So Christ is the Lamb that takes away the sin, right? So, so again, the concept of burnt offerings changed from being that of offering animal sacrifices, but the animal sacrifices, again, were just a symbol to something that was to come later, which was the sacrifice of Christ himself. So this is why the Lord says, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill. And actually, so Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the same chapter, Christ takes the laws of the Old Testament and he elevates them. So he says, for instance, um, you have been told that you should not murder, right? But I, but I say to you that anyone who even has hatred for his brother in his heart is committing murder. So did he abolish the law? No, he took the law and he actually added to it. He says, what is murder, right? Murder is not just a physical act of murder, but it is even hatred. He also said, you have been told not to commit adultery, right? But I tell you that even to look at someone lustfully is committing adultery in his heart. So he didn't abolish the law. He said, this is law is good, but I'm going to add to it and, and reveal to you what it was intended from the beginning. But you were unable to fulfill it because why? You did not have the Holy Spirit. So now, having received the Holy Spirit, we are capable of more than we were before. And so we are it is revealed to us what is the true purpose and meaning of the law. Because actually, what is it that God wants us to be? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to live in perfection like him. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So in the Old Testament, it was impossible for the people to be perfect. Right? God was telling them, follow the commandments. No one could follow the commandments. They didn't have the ability to follow the commandments. And this is why St. Paul says in Romans that when the law came, it brought death because all it did was bring condemnation. Um, all it did was now someone is giving me a list of rules that I cannot follow. So the moment that I realized what the, what the rules were, what the laws were, all it did was bring judgment. Didn't, it didn't, the law did not bring it with it power to fulfill the law. It just brought a list of things that I could not follow. It's impossible for us, right? So it brought condemnation. Whereas in the New Testament, having received the Holy Spirit, now we have the ability to be able to follow the spiritual law that Christ has laid out for us. So he, that's why he is elevating the law. And he's saying the law actually now has a more spiritual meaning. It's not just about the external actions. 
it's about the internal, right? Which then leads to the external. So even though, yes, we can clearly see that there are differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the, the differences, we have to understand why is there differences. The differences is, is a matter of fulfillment and, and that the law of the Old Testament was always from the beginning pointing to something that is to come, right, that hadn't yet been revealed. Okay? So some people may ask, are we required to observe the Old Testament rules regarding the observance of the Sabbath, circumcision, festivals, blood sacrifices, impurity, and purification? Okay? And here in Colossians 2.17, he refers to these, and he says what? These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ, pointed to, to him and who he was and what he was to do. So we want to talk about these four, um, these four things, the Sabbath, the circumcision, the feasts, and then the priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron, which is the Old Testament priesthood, and see what changes have, have happened in these um, between the Old and the New Testament. So the Sabbath. We know that the command of the Sabbath still stands. It is called the Day of the Lord, right? Um, and the word Sabbath means rest, okay? And in the Old Testament, the people would rest and the land would rest. So there would be um, years where they would not plant uh, crops to let the land to rest every seventh year. Um, and this would, this would happen regardless of the day of the week, right? So uh, every seventh year, the, the, the land would rest and it wasn't limited only to Saturdays, you know, because in the Old Testament, Saturday was the Sabbath day. Um, he says, what, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord, meaning the, the land will have a rest. Uh, you will not plant on the land. So also the Lord himself, he rested, okay? The resting of the Lord, when we say that the Lord rested, the resting of the Lord was after the salvation was accomplished, okay? When he was able to free us from death, this is when he rested. Like all of the work of salvation had been completed, right, on the cross, and then the Lord rested, okay? Um, and so the, the resurrection, which is on Sunday, is considered the day of rest for the Lord because it was after he fulfilled all of his work, after the crucifixion, after he went into Hades, and he, he brought up the souls who were in Hades to paradise, and then the, the resurrection day is his day of rest. So this is why the early church decided that the church will celebrate the, the, the Sabbath day of the New Testament, the day of the Lord, on the, day of, on the same weekday as the resurrection, right, which is Sunday. So the concept of having a day of rest, the concept of having a day where we are worshiping God and we are not working and we are not, you know, focusing on our own things, this is still the case, right? But the church decided to make it a different day instead of making it Saturday to make it to be Sunday, Hence, Sunday became the day of the true rest of our Lord to replace the Sabbath, which is the symbolic day of rest. So resting is a biblical commandment and remains a divine commandment in line with the spirit and the intent of the original ordinance, right? So again, it is not about literally following what, what was said. It's to understand the spirit of it, right? What is the spirit of it? Here we see a literal commandment translated to its true spiritual meaning. The commandment was not annulled but enhanced. So now we celebrate God's rest on the day of our salvation in place of his day of rest after creation. Okay? So this is this is the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not abolished, just but its nature changed because the the way we understand the Sabbath changed. Circumcision is another one we mentioned. So God instituted circumcision with a spiritual meaning which was not understood, right? 
The severing and the death of a small body part was a symbol of the death with Christ in baptism. Right, so that's what circumcision is. It's cutting off a part of the body, right? A part of the flesh. And so it's a kind of death, like that part of the flesh dies, okay? But what was that a symbol of? Well, in the New Testament, with the sacrament of baptism, we believe that when a person is baptized and they enter through the waters of baptism, the whole person dies. The whole person dies. It's a spiritual death and a spiritual resurrection, right? So, of course, you can't actually kill a person physically and then say this is the symbol, right? So what was the symbol? It was cutting off a part of the body, right? That was the circumcision. Now, at the time, people, of course, didn't understand this. They didn't understand that hundreds of years from now, there's going to be a sacrament called baptism, and it's going to be a spiritual death and a resurrection with, with Christ, and that we are, what we are doing now is a preparation for that. They didn't know, right? But God was preparing the Jewish people so that when the Messiah appeared, he would be accepted. Actually, everything that was said to them by the prophets, all of the laws, everything was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah which is why it's a shame that they rejected him in the end because they had everything that they needed in order to believe in him, but they still rejected him. And Romans 6, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we are buried with him in baptism. So this bodily death was symbolized by circumcision, right? And, th and that is still valid. So we don't practice circumcision because circumcision was just a temporary symbol meant to point to what was to come, okay? When I say we don't practice circumcision, I don't mean that circumcision is, is wrong. Maybe we do circumcision, but we don't do it for a spiritual reason, right? We don't do it for a spiritual reason. We do it for a medical reason. We do it for physical reasons. So the commandment now has a spiritual meaning. Christ did not abolish the law but applied the spirit of the law. He did not abolish the death of a part of the body through circumcision, but explained how death was fulfilled in a spiritual sense through baptism, for which circumcision had become a symbol. So he says this in Colossians 2, St. Paul. He says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So St. Paul very explicitly makes this connection between circumcision and baptism. And just as there is death of a, of a part of the body in one, so is the spiritual death that's happening to our old nature, our corrupted nature in, um, in the baptism. Okay, So that was the purpose, right? So we don't say, well, you know, now in the New Testament, um, you know, everything is different and, and circumcision is abolished. No, we under go a little deeper and understand what was the reason the circumcision was there to begin with, okay? The feasts, okay? We still actually celebrate feasts, right? But they have a new meaning, right? So actually all of the Old Testament feasts, they represented something in the New Testament. Um, the Old Testament Passover is still practiced, but now represents Christ as the true Passover and the true Passover lamb, right? So in the original Passover, right, what happened? They took uh, a, a lamb, and they killed it, and they took the blood of the lamb, and they put it on the doorway of their houses. And when the angel of death came, this is when the Israelites were still slaves in Egypt, and God was about to free them, right? When, when, when the angel of death came in the 10th plague in Egypt, um, the, the angel saw the blood of the sacrifice on the doors of the Israelites, 
of the Hebrews and passed over them. That's why it's called the Passover, right? And did not kill the firstborn in those houses, but in the houses of the Egyptians that didn't have the blood of the lamb, what happened? All the firstborns were killed by the angel of death, right? So what was the symbol of that? Well, the symbol is the blood represents the blood of Christ and that we are saved through the shedding of his blood because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and through him we have salvation. But of course, again, back then the people didn't understand. They didn't understand. God just came and said, kill a lamb, put the blood of the lamb on your doorposts and you will be spared from this death. Okay, But it was intended so that when eventually in the fullness of time the Messiah would to appear, then they would understand the connection between the two. It actually, it should have been much easier for the Jewish people to accept Christianity rather than the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles were coming from a polytheist religion and they had no background at all as to any of the prophecies or any of the history of the Jewish people, right? But actually what we see is the entire church now is Gentiles. All of us are Gentiles, right? The churches all around the world are Gentile churches. Very few people are Jewish Christians, very few, right? And of course, at the time, the Jews rejected Christ and they crucified him, right? Though they had all of these symbols, all these things that if you really like paid attention to it and thought about it, they would say, yes, this is the fulfillment. This is the fulfillment of all that came before, right? But they, they didn't understand. Um, also, we read in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us, the leaven representing sin, okay, just as in the Passover, Christ told them to eat unleavened bread because the, the, the bread, uh, the, the leaven that would be put in the bread represented sin and it would, like once you put the leaven, which is the yeast in the bread, it spreads to all the bread and the whole bread becomes leavened, right? So he was using this as an example of how sin like permeates us. When, when, when we have sin on our life, it permeates our life and becomes like consumes us with sin. So Christ being without sin was unleavened. And he told, he told them during the Passover meal to eat this um, unleavened bread. Following the Passover, we still celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, but as instructed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there's a connection between the practice of the Old Testament and what it means spiritually. The reason why he said don't eat leaven, okay, is because it represents sin. And so now in the New Testament, we're saying let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, right, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread, the, the, like the spiritual, like the righteous bread, okay. Just as a quiz, does anyone know why we have leavened bread for the Eucharist? Because Christ took our sins, right? In the Catholic Church, yeah. Um, in the Catholic Church, they use what for their communion, their Eucharist. They use these round wafers, and the wafers are unleavened, okay? Because they look at this and they say, "Well, Christ was without sin, so he was unleavened." And of course, the symbol of the Passover in the Old Testament was with unleavened bread, so the Eucharist will be unleavened, okay? But in our church, we say, well, yes, it's true that Christ without sin, but he took our sin upon himself, and so the liturgy is the sacrifice, right? So what is it that he did in the sacrifice on the cross is he took our sins on himself and offered himself so that we would be saved, right? So that's why we use leavened bread, right, and not unleavened bread. The Pentecost right, 
um, which is the feast that we celebrate now, 50 days after the resurrection. Um, this is actually still, okay, or, or this was actually something that was already uh, established in the Old Testament. 50 days after the Passover of the Old Testament, there was a feast of the Pentecost, right? But it's just now it's, 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 it, the celebration changes, right? But it was actually still at the same time. The commandment is fulfilled, but it is not canceled, okay? What about the priesthood? Okay, so blood sacrifice, uh, s uh, s the blood sacrifices symbolize the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And the principle of sacrifice was not abolished in the New Testament. So the idea that you have a sacrifice being done for the forgiveness of sins. That's like the essence of what the sacrifices that were instituted by God in the Old Testament, that's what it was. It was saying that in order for sins to be forgiven, there has to be killing. There has to be a sacrifice, right? In the Old Testament, whenever the people would offer the animal sacrifice, what would they do? They would take the person who was offering the sacrifice, he would put his hand on the animal that was to be sacrificed. What does that mean? Yeah, like symbolically transferring the sins of the person to the animal. So it's like the animal is now the one guilty. It's like the animal is now the one with the sin. And then you kill the animal because, as St. Paul said, the wages of sin is death. Actually, as God said, the wages of sin is death. So if there is sin and disobedience and separation from God, death has to come. Right? That's, the, that's like the natural law that God made from the very beginning. This is actually why... Um, God could not just like after Adam and Eve sinned, he couldn't just say, I forgive you and we're done. Like, and that's it. And we're just going to forget about this. And we're just going to continue as we are in the garden because the wages of sin is death. So there has to be a consequence of the death of the sin. Okay. So how did Christ save us? He didn't annul the law. He didn't come and say, well, I changed my mind or, you know, you've suffered enough and now I'm going to allow you to come to heaven again. No, he says in order for this to be fulfilled, to fulfill the law, there has to be death. There has to be sacrifice, right? So I will take the sacrifice on myself. I will make, I'll take the death on myself. And because Christ was without sin, so he was not deserving of death. You know, any other creature, right, that is sin, that is a sinner, could not have died on our behalf. No other person could have died on our behalf because that person actually deserves death. Right? Because of their sin, just like all of us. Christ was the only one who didn't deserve death, so he was innocent, right? And so when he took upon himself, it satisfied this law, which is that the wages of sin is death, and that is what actually transferred us from death to life. That is what, what, what we accepted. Like he took upon himself our sin, and we took upon ourselves his righteousness, right? And so now the law of death no longer applies to us because Christ took the penalty of death on himself, okay? So this concept didn't change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Actually, this is what explains why Christ had to do what he did, right? Christ didn't just come and say, well, the incarnation is enough, you know, because some people say, so in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they focus more on, it's not that they don't believe that the crucifixion had it, it was important, but they tend to focus a lot on the incarnation. And they say, in the incarnation, when Christ took the nature of humanity, took the human nature, by, 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 by taking this nature and uniting with our nature, he healed the human nature. Okay, it's true. 
like he heals the human nature. But the healing of the human nature in the incarnation was insufficient. Because even though, yes, he grants us his grace and he transforms our nature, but it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill the law, which is that the wages of sin is death. So there still has to be death. Like, like the, 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 the punishment still has to come one way or the other. There's no way around it, which is why the cross was necessary. Right, which is why Christ allowed Himself to endure the cross for the sake of our salvation. So, if the principle of the sacrifice remains the same, okay, but now has a spiritual meaning instead of the literal meaning, that means also the altar continued to exist, right? Continued to exist because the sacrifice is made on the altar, okay. But now it is not an altar for blood sacrifices, right? It is an altar for a spiritual sacrifice. Similarly, the priesthood was not abolished, but rather transformed from being of the order of Aaron to the order of Melchizedek, and from a priesthood that offers blood sacrifices to one which offers bread and wine. So if you're familiar with Melchizedek, Melchizedek is like this mysterious figure. He was a king and a priest um, that just showed up out of nowhere, and he, he saved Abraham, uh, and he saved Lot um, uh, from, from the enemies. Okay, And, and, and he, he shows up, and, and it says about him in Genesis 14 that he was a priest. There was no concept of priesthood yet, right? Like the, 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 the Old Testament priesthood was established at the time of Moses and Aaron, which was much, much, much later, right? This is prior to Abraham, Isaac, or this is prior, prior to, to um, uh, the, the, tr the 12 tribes of Israel. This is to prior to, any, to all of this, okay? So the idea here that um, this man, Melchizedek, who is both a king and a priest, Right, were to come, and <coughs> Abraham offered him tithes, like Abraham, who was the patriarch selected by God to be the one through which all of the people of God were to come. So you can say Abraham, he was like, he was like given great honor, right? But yet, even Abraham came and he made offering to this man Melchizedek. Okay, um, so it says then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God, Most God, Most uh, God, Most High. This is the other mysterious thing about him is he's the only person ever in the history of the scripture that offered bread and wine as a sacrifice. Like this was not something that you ever see again. This is not something that God ever commanded the people to do, right, in the Old Testament, right? All the sacrifices in the Old Testament were animal sacrifices, right? So Melchizedek also, he had no genealogy, meaning usually in the scripture, whenever it's introducing someone, it says this person, the son of whoever, or gives some kind of background or history about who this person is. Melchizedek shows up. He has no history. Nobody, nobody knows anything about him. He just appears, and is, and and he's a he's a priest, and he's a king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he's a king of peace, right? So he is a symbol of Christ. He is not like actually Christ. He's not like a pre-incarnated form of Christ, but he is a symbol of Christ. He was a priest. He's a king as well, right? He's the king of peace. He offers bread and wine. Okay. So the the priesthood of Christ is 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 of this type. Right, and so the priesthood of the New Testament is according to the type of Melchizedek, a completely different type of priesthood, right? A spiritual priesthood, rather than the priesthood of the Old Testament, which was focused primarily on the offering of animal sacrifices, and all of those priests were according to Aaron, the order of Aaron the priest. Saint Paul clearly explained the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek to be above that of the Aaronic priesthood. 
So in Hebrews 7, it says, Without father, this is speaking about Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. So he is, he is comparing the priesthood of Christ. Why do we even call Christ priest and we call him the great high priest? Because he made an offering, right? He made an offering. And so as, as someone who's making an offering, he is a priest. And actually, he is also the offering. So he is both the priest and the offering. In Hebrews uh, 7.21, it says, For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying the priesthood of Christ was according to the order of Melchizedek, this king of peace who came to offer bread and wine who had no genealogy, just as Christ also, right? Because Christ, he was born, but he didn't have a father right he, he he only had a mother right saint mary right he didn't have uh, he didn't have a human father and then in verse 24 but he because he continues forever has an unchangeable priesthood so the priesthood of christ again the new testament priesthood according to um the according to the order of melchizedek so christianity did not contradict the law and the prophets but what was meant literally was preserved as is and what was intended as a symbol was understood and fulfilled in the new testament the Old Testament remains, but the Lord Jesus removed the veil from people's minds so that the believers could see with spiritual eyes. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. This is like for the Jews. Like when the Jews are reading the Old Testament without faith, they, they have like a veil over their eyes. They can't see. They have a blindness. Um, uh, because the veil is taken away in Christ, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So this is the important thing to understand. There were some things given in the Old Testament that were meant literally for us to follow. And there were some things that were given that were intended as symbols to the New Testament, which then there was some kind of change that happened, a fulfillment, the, the manifestation and the revelation of the reality. So, for instance, what's an example of something that we should literally be following that was given in the Old Testament? The Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments still apply. Right? Adultery is still adultery. Right? Uh, murder is still murder. Blasphemy, is like, like uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, like keeping the Sabbath day, all those things are still valid because those were intended as literal commands that God wants us to follow. But there are some things that were given symbolically right like the offering of sacrifices and so on and in those things in the new testament we practice them in the new way but it doesn't mean that they're just canceled it means that there there is a change that happened in them a fulfillment that happened in them okay um i think this is a good stopping point um does anyone have any comments or questions pray in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen we thank you lord for this day we ask for your blessing in all things and we ask O oh god that you help us to understand your economy of salvation that you offer to us that began from the very beginning 
uh, after the sin of Adam and Eve and continues up until this day. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy. We thank you, O God, because you have established the priesthood for the sake of our salvation and that you continue to speak to us and you work in our lives daily. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.